Good morning. Thank you, sir. Uh, I think uh, Austin referenced the Oasis journey. I believe we have a slide for it. Is that right, Abby? Do we? Have? And uh, you can see here, it's sort of uh, relatively simple to follow. When you start at the top, we have the welcome. We want you to feel welcome here, no matter what you look like, dress like, where you come from. We want you to be welcome. We say it like audaciously accepted. Then we go, want you to worship. We want you to worship in spirit and in truth. We want you to connect, as Austin just said, to connect with believers, to connect with the church. It's a great thing. And then you see the equip and serve. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, you should have gotten an email. Uh, and that email, if you're on the Connect card and you've signed all that stuff, the email had a video and explained that we're going to be, uh, our plan is to uh, install three new elders here at Oasis. Did anyone see, who saw that and know what I'm talking about? Okay, so just in case you don't know who these people are, um, right back here, Dale Skinner, would you please stand, sir? That's Dale. Dale's one of them. Yeah. Tim Leahy, are you back there? And I just don't see. There you are. Stand up, buddy. There he is. Yeah. And Austin Basil here. Come on, stand up, Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are copies of the letter that are out there. Um, there's been a lot of time. This has not just been a, uh, a quick decision. There's been a lot of effort made. If you have any question, we ask that you would see myself, Pastor Todd, or Dr. Rob Horner over here with any comments on that. And uh, just we just want to be forthright in all our communication. If you need any clarity, have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, we've been in our series called Living the Life, and uh, part of that I've just heard time and time again of testimonies about people doing life together, and it has been exciting to hear, and you're living the life, okay. I'm going to live the water balloon life here in a minute. <laughs> Go back to old youth group days. Some of you all know what that's like. Um, but living the life is important because we do life together, and we're putting a lot of intensity on this, and we're going to continue with doing that. And so this week, uh, or last week, we talked about James 5, 16, therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous per person has great power and it is working. So we, we got the thing that we are called to be together, find a group of people we trust, share our hearts with them, confess our sins where we do not have it all together, amen? And we do not have it together here. But we do want to confess those things we're struggling with in a safe place so that we can experience the love and grace of Jesus. This week, we're going to be talking about sharing your story. And as I was thinking about this, um, I, I, like, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to share one of my stories uh, about how sharing the story is important. And I don't know that I've shared this before. If I have, it's been quite a while. But when I was younger, I had a, my dad's sister and her husband, he was a pastor, a minister in the PCA church, uh, as my Aunt Mary and Uncle Gaynor. And they had uh, a son that was is my cousin David, and so and, and also had a daughter who was Beth, and she was much older. I didn't get as close to her. But when I was younger, all I remember is when I would go there, I would get teased all the time. I mean, all the time. And it was just like tease, artboard, tease, tease. I mean, it was just, that's all it felt like it was. It was sort of like I was a, a dartboard. And that happened, that happened, and I always liked being there because let me tell you, my, my Aunt Mary could cook, and she was just, 
She was just an awesome lady. She just felt the love. She was like my surrogate mom. Like she, when I went there, I felt like I was loved uh, just in, in an incredible way. And so uh, one day we were in Malden, South Carolina, which you're familiar with South Carolina. It's a part of Greenville. It's sort of now it's, it's been absorbed into Greenville. It used to be its own thing. But we got a, a whole bag of steamed peanuts, boiled, excuse me, boiled peanuts. You know what that is, right? If you're down south, you got to try it. I mean, it might weird some of you all out, but it's what you do. And so we got this bag and we went back and I can, I don't remember much, but I remember exactly what everything looked like. We walked back in this trail and we we're in the cedar grove and we sat down in this area underneath the trees. And for whatever reason, I don't remember how. And I began to share and you have to understand, David grew up, you know, some of you have experienced just like, you know, a pretty decent, solid home. And the stuff that I was sharing him, and, you know, this was not at my dad's place. This was my mom and stepfather. The stuff that I was sharing just gripped him. So I began to share my story, and he just sort of hung his head, and he said, I had no idea. I had no idea. And from that point on, I, it was distinctive. At that moment, I gained a brother. There is, he is someone I can call right now if I, if I needed anything. If I called him right now, he would drop everything, and he's in South Carolina, and he would, he would do anything that he possibly could. But it took a level of intimacy. It even took him asking just tell me your story. Tell me your story. And when we share our stories, we find we might not find a common bond, but we understand the person better. You might understand why someone acts like they do or is defensive like they are when you understand the story. And you can begin to be a trusted part of that healing process. And so in our life groups, we are working on sharing, and, and you should have gotten an email to the leaders are going to be are sharing this week about sharing your story and the highs and lows of it. So there's high points, there's low points, there's heroes, and there's defining moments. So I just, I mean, two of my heroes, you know, my dad and, and, my, and my cousin in my early days, you know, they were, they were two heroes for me. But there were a lot of low points and high points. And so we need to share our story. So in, in light of that, I want to share a short video, and it's, uh, have you ever heard of I Am Second? It's sort of like a thing on, uh, it's a website called I Am Second, and it's all his life and how, how Jesus has impacted him. The racial problem has been the unresolved dilemma of America. It has gone on since its inception because its root has not been addressed by the people who are most qualified to address it, the church. I was raised in urban Baltimore. It was during a time of segregation and racial strife. And I was reminded in many ways that I was a second-class citizen. It was frustrating. It was painful. It was hurtful. There were places I couldn't go, people I couldn't be with, simply because of the color of my skin. In fact, I was even told that I could only expect to go so far in my life 
because that was the nature of my created being. I had to come to grips with different directions about who I was and why I was. But when I looked very closely to the Bible and to Jesus, this Christ who came, I discovered something awesome. I discovered that when he's first, then he places me in a second position that's above the class that I was given by other men. I discovered his love for me and his repositioning me as a prince in his kingdom, as a son of the living God with royal blood flowing through my veins. All of a sudden, what men thought and how men felt about me became irrelevant because now I was placed, in fact, I was seated with him in a very high place that he gave me recognition, significance, and value. And now I could be fully proud of his creation in me and not allow others to denigrate me by how they define me or even to make me think more highly of myself than I ought to think because I had a new point of reference. So I'm proud today to say I'm second because I've discovered Just a side note, um, it, it would be helpful, this is uh, Black History Month, it's helpful to ask some older folk what it was like to grow up in the era that he's talking about. And I'm not saying we're all fixed, because we're not, but again, listening to a story and gaining perspective helps you understand what's going on. So we need to share our story. I want to share a few things. In your life groups, you're going to be talking about Joseph's life. I want to talk to you briefly about King David's life and then share a, a, a piece of scripture that he wrote. But uh, if you're not familiar, are you all familiar with King David? King David was the, the second king. Uh, he was the man who said it's after God's own heart. So I just want to read a little timeline, and I want you to think in your head, is this a high point or a low point of his life? First one's sort of easy. Uh, David was likely born in Bethlehem between 1040 and 1030 B.C. That's pretty decent, right? In 1025, David is anointed by Samuel at the age of 10 to 13. It's found in 1 Samuel 16 which Saul, King Saul, undoubtedly heard about, later choosing David nearby to keep observation on him. In 1020 B.C., at the age of 15 to 17, David defeated Goliath. At 1015 B.C., because of his reputation, he was appointed, banished David from his court, yet he made him a commander of a thousand people. So he got banished and then appointed. Maybe he hoped David would be killed in battle. David's roughly 25 at this point. His success as a warrior made Saul offer him the hand of his daughter, Michael, as a snare. And ultimately, she ends up, they end up getting married and they fell in love with one another. In 10, uh, 1007 B.C., 
at Jonathan's warning and Michael's, David flees from Saul. Saul is after his life. This is like a low point, And he flees Saul to Samuel at Ramah. Michael, his wife, remains behind with Saul. An evil spirit calls Saul to pursue David, but he is stopped by the spirit of God at Ramah. So he's just, this whole life is just up, down, up, down, and I'm skipping through some of it. Ten, uh, th- thousand five BC, David cuts off a corner of Saul's robe in a cave. He didn't even know he was there. Uh, and Saul leaves the cave, and David pleads his cause. His men were like, why didn't you kill him? And David's saying is, you cannot touch God's anointed. 1000 BC, David, with the help of his allies, assumes control of Judah and is anointed its king in Hebron as its capital. He reigned for seven years and six months. In 997 BC, David takes over and um, conquers Jerusalem. In 980 BC, while indulging his children and allowing his generals to run their own war, David falls prey to the temptation of the flesh, of peace and of plenty. He sleeps with Bathsheba. Uriah is slain, her husband, and Nathan confronts David, and David finally repents, and his repentance is found in Psalm 51. In 961, a lot of other history here, but King David dies. There is pro- I'm sure there is no one else in the Bible that his whole record is out there for everyone to see. How would you all like that? Anyone want to volunteer? But David had his whole record out there, and if there's anybody, him and Saul are, are two people who became Paul, are people that's like, I don't know that I'd want to share my story. And then you add to it Peter, who is sort of like did everything wrong, and he's okay with it being in the Bible. They share their story. David's stories like this. Paul's stories like this. All these stories are up and down, and so is our story. There is no one that has a perfect, upright curve that everything goes just right. But we have these things, and ultimately, we want to be drawn closer to the Lord as we walk through these things together. But David, uh, he wrote in Psalm 71, verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts. He's talking to the Lord. Of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. Do you realize there are things that God has done for you that is beyond your knowledge? That things that happen, that things that take place that are beyond your realm of understanding, that you'll probably have some great aha moments when you get to heaven. To, oh, you did that. Oh, oh, oh. You know, it'll be all these things where God had his hand with you through the good times and the bad. And this is what he's saying. He's like, man, I don't have the knowledge. He said, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. And in essence, he's going, your righteousness, God, is all that I have. 
As a Christian, that is all we have to hold to. We don't hold our righteousness up and say, look how good I am. My story is not about my righteousness. My story is more about my fallenness. My story is more about my depraved heart that wants and seeks after me. My story is about my selfishness and all these things that are taking place. That's a lot of my story. But let me tell you about King Jesus. King Jesus rescued me. Didn't even want to be rescued. He came, much like Paul in the, in the road, where Saul's in the road, he came and he rescued me. And he brought me, and he's, he's bringing me into this progressive sanctification where he draws me closer and closer to be more and more like him. And that's what David is sitting talking about. I remind them of your righteousness and yours alone. That means he is telling a story. I will remind them isn't talking about, um, you know, I will remind the angels in heaven. He's like, I will recount and I will share the good news of the gospel to people I come into play. So to seal a thing from Dr. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. I have a dream someday that there will be testimonies, there will be more testimonies than we can handle, and every week someone's going to be coming up here and sharing how God is working their life and orchestrating their life, even in the good and the bad times, and going, he gives and he takes away, but man, I tell you, God is working, he's alive, and I've just got to tell somebody. But in order to do that, it's going to take an investment from you. It's going to take a, a, a relinquishing of the force field, of the wall, and the mask in their lives, and just to begin to lower it down some. Now, I want to free you a little bit. We're, we're going to be telling our stories in life groups. That doesn't mean you, in front of a group of 12 people, have to tell your whole story. I want to release you a little bit. If you want to, feel free. You've got to start somewhere. Just got to start somewhere. Your story might be more general at first as you get comfortable with sharing with those around you. But I can promise you that the more comfortable you get, the more free you're going to be able to do so. And it's just going to be a part of who you are. But David said, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts. That means there will be speech from me. It doesn't mean I'm going to hold it all in and hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it come out. Psalm 71, 17 continues on, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Do we all like getting taught? Usually when we're getting taught something, there is a discipline factor being brought into play, right? Right? And David is sitting here acknowledging, from my youth, when I did all those stupid things, when I did all those foolish things, and then I got older and I didn't get a lot smarter, and I continued to do it, and you continued to instruct me, and you continued to show grace, and still, follow me here, and still I will proclaim your wondrous deeds. Your discipline is good. Your correction is good. Your training is good. And I will tell of your marvelous deeds. Is that your heart this morning? Is that your heart? That no matter what has happened, 
that because of God's goodness in your life and his righteousness, you are ready to share to those around you your story and God's impact on it, and I would say trajectory on it, because it's, it's like a missile at times. But has your life done this? You are not alone. We do not sit in a church where the environment is, you say things you've messed up, and we go, oh, We're also not in an environment where if your, your life has been relatively good and, and free from some of the funk that some of us have had, we're going to applaud you as a wonderful example of people who have trusted Jesus. <laughs> He's ready to give testimony. Huh? Just hear kids everywhere. They're ready to cry out. This is a safe place. Revelations 12, it says this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the land, meaning the evil one, and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even to death. Satan is defeated by the blood of the lamb and by the word of testimony. There is something about the testimony of God's elect. There's something about it. There's something tangible. When someone shares how God has done their, has saved them and delivered them, how God has chastised them and brought them to repentance, where we identify with it and we grow in it and we grow stronger. Amen. So you want to see Satan defeated, I'd encourage you to lay hold on to the Lamb whose blood was shed, and to share your story about how God is working in your life. So I want to do a survey. Who here believes it's biblical to share your testimony? I'm looking. I'm seeing who doesn't raise their hand. Next week, you're going to come. and <laughs> No, don't worry. <laughs> The introverted people are, are cringing deep down inside. But we've got to get comfortable with it. So we want to share our high points. We want to share our low points. We want to share our heroes. And we want to share how our Savior has just brought us through these things. So I want you to think of a few things. When you share your story, exalt Jesus. Exalt Jesus. There is nothing worse, in my opinion, that someone shares a testimony when it's all about them and how they were victorious. Because I don't buy it. But I am buying when God is victorious through someone and is blessing them and is strengthening them. So King David had his whole life ups, downs, ups, downs, ups, downs. But I want you to hear that Jesus is the greater son of Bethlehem. We read in the Bible about David's life and we compare ourselves to them. Have you all compared yourself with people in the Bible? Right? 
So you look at David and go, oh, I'd have done that. I wouldn't have done that. And we compare ourselves. I always looked at Daniel as someone who I couldn't compare myself to because he seemed too perfect. You know, sort of compare yourself and just go over it. But Jesus is the greatest of all of those people. He's the greatest of us here. People don't want to hear us be proclaimed. They want to hear Christ be proclaimed. So Jesus is the greater son of Bethlehem. David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born into obscurity. While David was a nobody from nowhere, Jesus left heaven to be born there. Jesus was greater than David, and David worshiped him. Jesus is the greater unexpected candidate, overlooked and forgotten. If you remember that David's uh, father, uh, the the, um, prophet, went in and it was like, there is a son here, we're going to announce king. And, and he brought all the sons through and let them look over him. And they didn't put David in there because it couldn't be David. Couldn't be the sheep herder. Couldn't be, couldn't be him. David was overlooked, and he was the least likely brother to be chosen king. Jesus was despised and rejected by all men. Jesus is the greater David. David showed much of his life of what Jesus would go on to experience. Jesus is the greater shepherd watching over his flock. While David watched over his sheep and protected them against danger, Jesus watched over us and protects us against our greatest enemy. Do you believe that Jesus is your shepherd? Yeah, I know, I know. Jesus is the greatest shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. David took care of the bears and the lions. Jesus Christ takes care of the enemy that is in our lives if we place ourselves under his care. Even sometimes when we don't take ourselves under his care, he still cares for us. He was the greater shepherd. Jesus is the suffering, was the greater suffering servant, enduring injustices. While David was persecuted for his sin and other sins, Jesus was persecuted for ours. David's story, again, it does this. But David knew the greater suffering servant. Jesus is the greater substitute taking place, taking our place in the battle. While David became the substitute for King Saul, remember when the Philistine giant came and he came on the land, he's like, come on, Israelites, here I am. I'm gonna wake some of y'all up now. Come on, take me, I'm a giant. I'm not a giant, but here I am, take me. Everyone recalled in fear because he was huge, but not David. Not David. David was the harp player. He played music for the king. And it's like little David couldn't even wear the king's armor. Little David wasn't thought to win, but he knew who his God was. And he said, man, if God wants him gone, he's gone. And David geared up by dropping all the gear and picked up his sling and some rocks. And he took him out. David became the substitute for King Saul against the enemy. Jesus becomes the substitute for us who were the enemy. Do 
you view yourselves as enemy of God before Christ? This is the, probably the single most deepest issue that people have in our culture. Our culture assumes that we are good deep down. But the Bible says that we're bankrupt. That our righteousness are nothing more than filthy rags on a leper. And we can mimic and do good things. But Jesus is the one who is substituted in our place. That he was crucified so that we could have life. Jesus is the greatest, greater warrior charging the battle line. While David ran toward the fight with passion, Jesus ran toward the cross with joy. Is this the king that you're following this morning? Are you willing to tell that story? Are you willing to take the very difficult, quiet things that you suppressed all your life and begin to crack your heart open? Are you willing to say that God by grace has released me of the fear of man, of the fear of being neglected or turned away from or thought less than? It's like, I'm going to begin to share my story. Because remember, in James it says that we're to confess our stuff. We're to share our story to find healing. So sharing your story is part of this. So I want to ask you a question now. This is interaction time. What would prohibit someone, I'm not talking about you, from sharing your story? What's going to stop you? Or in general, not you specifically. Fear. Yep. Shame. Oh, good one. What else? Guilt. Embarrassment. Reality. Yeah, it's just uh, scary. This is real. What else? Pride. Oh, that's a good one. What else? Rejection. That's excellent. I have, um, I had that happen 25 years ago. I sat with someone sharing with them about uh, a struggle I was going through. Whoa. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Later on, I discovered that what he was struggling with was a hundred times worse, but wasn't willing to just own up to it. But I was rejected. It hurt. You and you bury your soul and it hurts and no one, you're not reciprocated. But that's not, that's not to cause us to not share the story. Paul went into every town as they planted churches and shared. Jesus, when he sent out his people two by two, they went into the thing and he said, go to the door. If they have you, go in. If not, just go to the next door. That's what we need to do as his people. Church, we want to share our story. We want to exalt Jesus Christ through it. And we want to acknowledge all the fear, the anxiety, the rejection that might come, but trust that God's plan is greater than ours and that he will deliver us.